the church through the giving of his people. And so thank you for, for doing that. Uh, if you were with us last Sunday, uh, you might know that we're trailing the people of Israel after one of the greatest moments in the history of Israel, and that is the crossing of the Red Sea. What we found, though, last week is that only three days after they sang a song to declare Yahweh's great power and great victory in defeating Pharaoh and the enemy armies of Egypt, they turned to Moses and they began to grumble because their supply of water had run out and the only water in front of them was bitter, undrinkable water. Moses approached Yahweh who said throw a tree into the water and we talked about this last week but he said throw a tree into the water and when Moses did the water became sweet and the people were able to drink and then Yahweh comes to the people and says I have a test will you listen to and obey me Chapter 16 opens, and this is where we were last week as well in chapter 16, where the people, again, they grumble to Moses. Now it's because they have no food. And we can understand that, right? Not having water, not having food, we grumble. But the issue was they weren't grumbling to anyone who could do anything about it. They were grumbling to Moses. Moses goes to Yahweh. Yahweh says, I'm going to send bread from heaven They call it manna. And and he said, I'm going to cover the ground with this manna, and then I'm going to test you. Whether you will listen to my word and obey it. Don't save any for tomorrow, although some did. And don't take any on the seventh day, although some did. And here's what we saw last week when it comes to the testing. The Yahweh was not testing his people to see if they were worthy of his gifts and his grace. Right? He gave to them the water, then he gave to them the bread, and then said, I'm going to test you. The test did not come to see if they were worthy of his grace. The test came to see if the people recognized Yahweh who had gifted them that he was worthy to obey, listen to, and obey his word. He wasn't testing their knowledge about him. He was testing their submission to him. And the same is true today, right? The test of the Christian life is, is not how many Bible verses do you know? How many social media posts can you put out there about the Bible and about Christianity? It's about whether or not we're obedient to the word that we know. It's not about whether or not you came to church this morning. It's about whether you're going to leave church and live like the church that he has called us to be. You know, sometimes it's our knowledge of the word of God that interferes with us actually living out and applying what we already know. So many Christians would rather gather to talk about the Bible than to go and live out the Bible. And I, and I know I'm thankful for our life groups. I'm thankful for our Bible study groups. But there needs to be times when we stop talking about the Bible and say, here's what we've learned. What are we going to do with it? Let's go serve people. And as we get into chapter 17 today, we're going to see echoes. Echoes of grumbling and echoes of testing. But there's going to be some differences that I hope you pick up on. We're going to read through the first seven 
verses of chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. And again, we'll read through the first seven verses. It begins this way. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of Yahweh. Encamped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled, keep note of that word, quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test Yahweh? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled. There's that word grumbling and thirsted. They thirsted, and then people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to Yahweh, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Verse 5. And Yahweh said to Moses, Pass on. Before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there. Now notice these next couple words. Keep this in the back of your mind. On the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested Yahweh by saying, Is Yahweh among us or not? Now again, if you're a guest of ours, uh, we're not just trying to look at Exodus from beginning to end. We're trying to look for echoes of Exodus. We see the echo of the people's thirst, but there's one difference. Instead of bitter water, there's now no water. We see the echo of the people grumbling in verse number three. But I want to key in on that word quarreled that we saw in verse number two. That word quarreled in the Hebrew would actually mean put to trial. It's as if the people have put Moses on trial and found him guilty. They've convicted him of bringing, him out, of bringing them out into the wilderness to die of thirst. And they have convicted him as being guilty, so they are going to try to kill him. It's why it said they're ready to stone him, because they've said, you're guilty. He feels as if his life is being threatened when he goes to, to Yahweh. And then we, we read this. After the echo of the thirst and after the echo of grumbling, there's this echo of testing. We've seen testing in two other places, at the bitter water and at the manna. But now there's a big difference at this place of testing because Yahweh is not testing the people he created and redeemed. Now he is being tested by the people he created and redeemed. This isn't Yahweh putting Israel to the test. It's now Israel putting Yahweh to the test. And you say, well, how, how did that happen? Well, if you go back to the last words of verse number seven. They tested Yahweh by saying, is Yahweh among us or not? Is he even here at all? 
Now, I don't know about you, but if you go back and begin reading from verse 1 to verse number 7, you're never going to find the Israelites asking the question, is Yahweh here or not? So where does Moses get this idea that the people were testing Yahweh by asking, are you here or not? And I believe that there's three things that we're going to see in the scriptures and, and that, that are going to help us see this is how the people put Yahweh to test, and this is how we put Yahweh to test as well. First is this. We test Yahweh by questioning his presence, his purpose, and his promise. I told you in verse 6 to remember the words, on the rock at Horeb. Horeb is a place and it's an echo. It's back in Exodus chapter 3 as we were trailing Moses across the wilderness. He comes to a burning bush at Horeb. It's at Horeb where Moses approaches God and says, what is your name? Who are you? And it is at Horeb where God reveals his name to be Yahweh, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. It is at Horeb where Yahweh tells Moses, I will lead you to Egypt and I will bring you back here, which means the people of God are questioning the presence of God in the very location God said, this is who I am. I am here. And they're saying, where are you? But see, it was that, it was that unfulfilled need, that, that thirst, a physical need that led them to question the spiritual presence of whether God was among them or not. And let's be honest with you. Most of the time in our lives, it is a physical, unfulfilled desire that causes us to say, God, where are you? He hasn't provided the way we want. And so we assume he's not here. But they didn't just question the presence of God. They were questioning the very purpose of God. Do you remember them asking, did you just bring us, save us out of Egypt to bring us here to kill us? What a confrontational accusation against Yahweh. You didn't kill us there, so you're going to kill us here? Imagine for just a moment you had planned an incredible vacation for your family to Disneyland or wherever your favorite place is to go. And you arrive early that morning and you get your family out of the car and you start walking across the parking lot. But that sun is really hot and it's beating down on you. And, and the tram is a little good distance away for you to walk. Could you imagine walking a short distance from your car and your children start to say, it's so hot. Did, did you bring us here just to walk across this hot pavement? If this is what it's all going to be about, I don't want to do this. Just take me back home. I mean, could you imagine how you would feel if your children took your wonderful plans and all the costs that went into it, and they just simply said, I don't want to do this. It's, it's no fun because they hadn't gotten to the place yet where the fun was going to begin. But that's exactly what's going on here. The people haven't gotten to the promised land, but they're already saying we want to go back to Egypt because we don't like this. Boy, we do that a lot. 
We really don't like it when God takes his time doing what God's going to do. Question is, do we believe that he has a great purpose for us or not? But it wasn't just the presence and it wasn't just the purpose. There was this promise of God because it was back in Exodus 6. If you were here the day we did the chiasm where, where he said, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bring you in. I am Yahweh. That's what God said. And that's what Yahweh said in, in, in Exodus chapter 6. This is my plan for you to bring you out and to bring you in. That was his promise to them. And now they're saying, did you just bring us here to kill us? Man, I, I think through how Moses is provoking the people uh, to, to think how they're questioning whether Yahweh the I am is even here or not. And all I can think of is honestly, like, I mean, that's me. Because we will fail to follow and obey God unless we're convinced we truly believe he's present, he has a good purpose, and he keeps his promises. Hey, if you can believe these three things about your God, you'll be okay today. Thank you, Tasha. If you think that God is good... He's here with you. He's walking with you and that his word is valid, faithful. You're going to be okay. But many of us, like, we struggle with that. So we question. We question God's ways and we, we start to search for our, our own ways. And, and yet we have the very Bible that tells us, I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be for you. I, I am the one who started a good work in you and I will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what our Bible says, and yet we're looking for a different way around it because we simply just don't believe. It's, it's like Jamie, who, who loves to put puzzles together, but she does it in such a strange way. She dumps all the pieces out on the table and then hides the box top. Like how are you supposed to put the puzzle together if you don't know what you're doing? But she'll take and she'll start putting all the colors together first. And once she has all the colors together and that outline of the frame, she just starts looking for which shape fits in which shape. Like, I can't do that. Like, I want to know what am I building? She enjoys the process. Hey, guess, get this. God knows what he's building in you. We can't always see that. But he knows what he's doing. I know what he's building. He's building the person of Jesus in you. Trust him to continue to do that. We test Yahweh by, by questioning his presence, his purpose, and his promise. And we test Yahweh by looking to a man of God to provide what only God himself can give. The people were thirsty. They, they needed water. But to whom did they turn and say, give us water? Not the God who can provide water. Not the one who turned bitter water sweet. Not the one who sent manna from heaven. They turned to Moses and said, give us water. Hey, Moses couldn't give them water. 
Even as the chapter continues, and we're not going to read it here as a church, but the rest of chapter 17 shows us Moses' limitations because there's going to be a battle between, the first battle between Israel and an enemy army, and Moses goes to the top of a mountain, and he takes the staff of God, and every time Moses' hands are up, the Israelite army is victorious. Every time Moses' hands come down, the enemy army is victorious. And guess what? Moses' arms got tired. So they put a rock that he could sit on and somebody, two men, a man named Aaron and a man named Her. That had to have been really hard living with a name called Her. Hey, would you get Her? No, that's a him. No, but get Her. No, that's a, that's a, that would be so confusing. Really. Aaron on one side, Her, him. On the other side, they had to hold Moses' hands up because Moses is tired. Moses doesn't have the strong right arm of God that we've seen time and time throughout. Moses is a man who gets weary. And Moses' hands being up is not the reason Israel was winning. Moses was reaching to the throne of God and saying, I am interceding for people. And as long as Moses was interceding and holding to the footstool of the throne of heaven, Israel was winning. But as Moses' hands grew tired, they were not. Moses had nothing to do with winning the victory. Moses was simply pointing to the one who was. And I love Moses. Like, he is, he is my favorite Old Testament figure. But, I mean, the truth is, Moses is a gift from God. He's not God. He's a mouthpiece for Yahweh. He's not the word of God. He raised his hands, but it's only because he was touching the toes, the footstool of the throne. And I really do believe that God works through people, but we should never, ever rely on the people that God brings into our lives more than on God himself. Like God does give good gifts, including people, to his children. He gives good gifts. And there are some of you in here that have been good, good gifts to us, you people. But our ultimate trust has to remain in the giver. Not the gift. I know you all understand this, but it's been a privilege to be here for seven years with you. Almost, almost seven years. And I've made so many wonderful friends and so many, and I'm going to miss so many. You have helped me grow in my faith. I, I hope that in some ways I have helped you grow in your faith. But let's be honest, all of our faith was always in him. And even when our family pulls out of Luray to go follow Jesus, he's not going anywhere. I mean, Jesus has allowed uh, some very treasured relationships to form in these nearly seven years. But Jesus is the true treasure. He's the king. He's the, he's the source. I've been privileged to be a mouthpiece, but he's the eternal word. I've been privileged to be a signpost, but he is the way. I've been privileged to be a friend, but he is the source of true love. And the fact that the people were wanting to stone Moses shows us that they were completely ignoring the presence of Yahweh looking to a man to do what only God can do. They were acting as if Yahweh was not even present and Moses was the one who needed to provide for their, for their needs. 
Listen, again, church, I love you. It is, it breaks our hearts to leave you. It gives us joy to follow Jesus. But please understand, he's the, he's the one we're all following. We also test Yahweh by allowing our emptiness to overshadow God's evidence. How did they test Yahweh? Asking the question, is he even among us? Let's pause for just a moment. What was leading them? What was in their sight line? A pillar of cloud that had led them from Egypt across the Red Sea to where they are and they're thirsty and because of their thirst their eyes have fallen down instead of up looking at the very pillar of the presence of God in their lives there was manna on the ground the morning they're asking is Yahweh around truthfully if they just kind of look back they, they could see the plagues they could see the, the the red sea parting they could see the bitter water the, there was so much evidence of god around them but the empty space in their life caused them not to see what was right in front of them they were hungry they were thirsty they were empty and their emptiness consumed them to the point that they failed to recognize the evidence of god's presence and so now they're saying where is he you know, earlier we looked at Exodus 6 where God said, I am Yahweh, I will bring you out. You will be my people, I will be your God, I will bring you in, I am Yahweh. The very next verse after Moses gives them the greatest news they could ever hear is this. Moses spoke thus to the people. He told them the good news. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. The unfulfilled circumstances of our lives often speaks louder than the word of our creator and redeemer. There are, there are times where empty spaces in our lives, they, they cause us to forget the way God has filled other spaces in our lives. But, but ultimately, the empty spaces in our lives provides room for God to work. Told you we've loved being here for seven years. Do you know why we were here for seven years? Because there was an empty space. There was no pastor here. It was an empty space. That's what brought us here. God works in these empty spaces, and what we can't do is see, oh, there's another empty space. God, where are you? Hey, look, look, you want to know where God is around Mount Carmel? Just look around you. We've baptized four people in the last two weeks. Praise the Lord. You've seen eight people join this incredible family. We have all kinds of wonderful testimonies and, and, and service work that's being done in our community. Man, God's all around. We can't stop. We can't focus on a space that is empty and say, where is he? We see his evidence all around us. And here's what I, what I really want you to understand. Emptiness is not the same as abandonment. We may feel empty spaces in our lives at times. We're going to experience those empty spaces. 
But you, as a Christian, you will never be abandoned. And we know that because Jesus is the one who hung on a cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the only reason he felt like that is so you would never have to. We'll feel empty. But we'll never experience abandonment. And here's the problem. When we believe we have been abandoned by God, we start forcing him to prove he's really there and that he is really God. And that is when we, as his people, his creation, start putting our creator to the test. You see, Yahweh tested Israel by saying, I'm going to give you all these things to show you I am a good and faithful father and I'm going to test you by whether you respond to my voice. But Israel flips it. And they say, we're going to test whether you really are a good father by whether you respond to our voice. That is so dangerous to do to God because it is not faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we know faith is the evidence of things not seen, which means the opposite of faith is I want the evidence before I believe. We put God to the test. I don't know if you're really good unless you do this. No, 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 that's not it. He's already done the good work. In Jesus, now the test is ours on whether we'll follow his voice and obey him. If you want evidence of God, well, one, look around you at nature. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Look at the human body. But most importantly, look at the work of Jesus. This is the evidence of God in your life. Now believe and follow and obey. And Moses recognizes this as such a momentous occasion, such a momentous moment in Israel's history that when he is going to die and he stops and he recounts all of Israel's history before they go to the promised land without him, he brings up this moment in the book of Deuteronomy. Don't turn there, but I want to show it to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, Moses talking to a new group of people, those who are going to go into the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb are left as far as the old people, but this is it. He's says you shall not put God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Same place. You tested him at Massa. Don't you do that. And what is so interesting to me is that Jesus then uses this same verse during his testing of Satan in Matthew chapter 4. The devil took Jesus to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And he begins to quote how he knows that God will care for him. And Jesus' response to Satan's test is, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He was saying, if you want me to do something to prove that I am God, you're putting me to the test and you don't test God that way. 
He was quoting what Moses was saying to the people who were testing Yahweh. Don't force him to act in some certain way like he has to listen and obey you. No, no, he's already shown his goodness. You listen and obey him. You see, when we put God to the test, when we say, God, this is what you must do to prove you're good, to prove you're faithful, we are acting like Satan himself. But I I really want you to catch this, okay? It doesn't mean we don't ask God for things. You see, faith never avoids asking God to work. Like, we have faith that he can. We have faith that he will. But faith never demands how God works. Like, this is what you must do to prove who you are. No, he's proven who he is. And because he's proven who he is, ask him. Because Because you don't know his will, you don't know his way, but you know his heart. Which is why we as a church family last week could pray for Katrina, who said, I would love for the Lord to give me a child. We don't know God's will, and we don't know God's way in Katrina's life. Here's what we do know. We know God's heart, and he wants to give good things to his people. And we know children are heritage. I wasn't claiming that God should do something. I was saying, God, you could do something. We know your heart. And, here, and even here in this place, we see Yahweh's response to the people, and it shows us his heart. We've already read these verses, but I want to read them one more time, and there's a ton of echoes in here. Yahweh said to Moses, pass. That is, this, this is so cool. This pass is the same thing that's going to happen when Moses goes to the top of the mountain and the glory of the Lord passes by him. And it's the same pass you're going to find in the New Testament when Jesus decides to pass on his disciples when he's walking on the water. This is just crazy. What a cool book we have. Pass on before the people. Taking with you some of the elders of the people, taking your hand, echo, the staff echo with which you struck, that's going to be an echo of the Nile. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. We already saw that echo. And you will strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. So Yahweh tells Moses to take the staff, the one that turned into a serpent, that, that, that turned the Nile to blood, that parted the waters. And he said, I want you to walk to the rock. And before he tells him to hit the rock, which he's about to say, and just hit it. Actually, he says, strike it. It's the same word that's used when, when Moses strikes the Nile and when Yahweh strikes Egypt on the night of the Passover. But before he says strike the rock, he says this. Yahweh says this. I will stand before you on the rock. So this striking is very important. It's a test, and Israel has failed the test. They were supposed to listen to and obey the word of God, but they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're testing God himself. And what happens when someone fails the test? There has to be consequences or else the test is meaningless. So how does Yahweh give them consequences when they grumble at Moses, when they test him, and when they fail the test he has given to them? How does he respond? What are the consequences? He gives them water, and he refreshes their thirst. So who receives the consequences? Let's go back to what Yahweh said. 
take the staff, walk to the rock. I will stand before you. Strike the rock. He stood there. Yahweh, the one who has provided for his people, he stood there and he takes the penalty of the sins and failures of his people. And I'm not making this up myself because the Apostle Paul will tell us in the book of Corinthians, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea, speaking of this group of people, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. The rock at Horeb was Christ. And that means in Jesus, our unfailing king who's never done anything wrong he suffered the consequences for the failures of his people at that cross he suffered the blow of sin upon himself so that his people could be refreshed Man. it's no wonder he goes to the well in john 4 he's the rock that gives water and he sits there the samaritan woman who has lived with five husbands she comes to the well to get water and he says i have water to give you so you'll never thirst again and this adulterous woman leaves her water pot and she runs to the city and says i've met the messiah and he has offered me living water what how can this adulterous woman walk away and she's the one who meets the messiah and she's the one who gets a drink of living water how are her adultery her adulterous sins cared for oh the rock the christ he'll be struck for her sin because the one out of whom Living water flows. The words out of John chapter 7. The one out of whom living water flows will hang on the cross. And you know what he says? The one out of whom streams of living water flow. He hangs on the cross and he says, I thirst. What? You're the source of eternal living water. How could you thirst? Because he took what we deserve and he gives us what only he deserves. I'm the one who should say, I'm thirsty. I, I have nothing. And I failed the test. I didn't listen to you. I didn't obey. I didn't follow. I'm, I need, I'm thirsty. No, instead, the one who completed and fulfilled everything his father ever asked him to do, he's the one who hangs on the cross and suffering the flames of hell in that moment. I thirst. Just think with me. How is it possible? And Carolyn, I had this written in my notes before we sang, the, before I knew what songs we were going to sing today. How is it possible that a group of sinful people can gather together in a room like this and sing 
of getting to spend eternity in the presence of a perfectly holy, sinless creator of the world. How is it possible that in our unrighteousness, we lift praises and we get to call a perfectly holy God Father? How is that possible? How do our unworthy mouths lift praises to the one who is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory? We don't deserve this. How can we, this group who deserves to face the eternal wrath of God, how do we stand and sing of the present blessings of God and the eternal greater blessings to come? We have sins to account for. We have a debt that we cannot pay. We have no right to stand before a holy God. No one in here has a right to stand before a holy God. Except that holy God sent his son to this earth. And he was rejected, ridiculed, and then crucified. And he took the beating. He took the strikes that we deserve. But he took them like a rock. In fact, he set his face like a rock, like a flint, to go to Jerusalem knowing the strikes that awaited him. And as he hung on the cross, the strikes that he endured caused his blood to flow, and his blood becomes the streams of living water that we all thirst for. He was struck, not for his sin, but for our sin. And it's because the rock was struck that sinners find eternal joy and hope. Because after he was struck, he was placed in the grave, and he rose three days later to prove that he was God. He ascended back to heaven. Now he sits on a throne at the right hand of the Father, and he tests his people. Just like Israel was tested. After what I have already gifted you, will you listen to and obey my word? And you know what a lot of people do? They love the gift. They come for the gift. And they take the gift. And they fail the test because they do what they want to do for the rest of their life. Which makes me wonder, really know you're questioning Yahweh's very name who says I am the I am and you're saying where is the I am is he even here do we come to the cross because we want what the cross offers for eternal blessing or do we come to the cross because we want the one who hung on the cross who was taken off the cross who was buried and who rose again into the sitting on the throne do we want to the cross or do we want the one who hung on the cross we want the one who hung on the cross we need to listen to and obey follow his word so here's what I want you to take home today in just a moment I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in just a moment not yet but I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and I want you to remind yourself of God's past blessings like, here's the thing. I think there's so many things in our lives we have grown accustomed to seeing. And they don't serve as evidence of God's goodness anymore, but they need to. 
We're missing the pillar of cloud that's right in front of us. Take a photo album at home and look, just look through it. Go for a walk. Just talk to God. Put your phone down. Turn the TV off. Just go out and speak to him. Got to remind yourself of his past blessings. And then look for new evidence of God's hand. Talk about how God is working in your life right now. Billy, that's what you did today. It was so valuable. How God is working now. What's the new evidence? What is the last thing you've seen God doing? Share that with someone. Journal it so you can come back to it and be reminded of his past blessings as we keep looking for new evidence. And I'll tell you, celebrate the substitutionary work and the gifts of Jesus by confessing your sins, by opening up the word, by spending time privately in prayer, by in your car turning on some worship music and letting it get to your heart. Right? The evidence of God is everywhere. Don't let an empty space in your life lead you to believe he has abandoned you. He hasn't. He's there. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, and I want you to just simply think of some of the evidences of God in your life past that you have failed to see and be reminded of his evidence, knew what is he doing now, and to thank him for the work that he's doing in Jesus would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? Here's what I'd love for you to do. Like, let's start with this. Do you have an empty space in your life right now? Is there something that if you wanted God to work, you would say, this is what I want God to do? Because this is empty. Okay, start there. And let me ask you. Are you asking him to prove that he's good and faithful by coming through on that? Or are you asking him to work because you know him to be a good, faithful, loving God who has cared for you? And you're asking him to just fill that space because of his good heart, not to prove he's anything. Would you take a moment and would you think of something specific right now? Think of a blessing, whether it's a person, whether it's something, someone, some way that God has acted. Think of something that you have not thought of in a long time that should remind you God is Would you take a moment? Would you just thank him for taking your strikes? Not the physical beatings. The very wrath of God poured out against sin. He took it like a rock. Thank him for his work. Father, you are so good.
Jesus, thank you for what you have done and for who you are. And Lord, as this church closes our gathering today, we're going to sing that song, Only a Holy God. And Lord, I pray that our hearts, I pray that our voices, I pray that everything in us raises our hands and raises our joy and we're not just singing because it's the third song in a set that was chosen for us no this time we're going to stand and we're going to sing knowing i deserve the strikes i deserve the punishment i have failed the test and you came to stand before me you stood before the father and you took the strikes of sin and now we have been forgiven and we we can stand in this present moment with hands outstretched, with our hearts lifted high, and we say, only a holy God does this. Only a holy God. And Lord, may we leave today to live out the desires of that holy God. Thankful, grateful, absolutely, but obedient to the word that you have given to us. Thank you for, man, I love the praise that this church offers. Lord, may it reach a new level this time, not because of anything other than a greater realization of what you have done for us. You took the strikes we deserve.